With COVID, with any type of virus, like, there's no shutting it out. Free speech is not absolute. You cannot uh, yell fire in a theater that's not on fire. It's the COVID-19 that killed them, but the pneumonia made the death more likely to happen. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Social Discord. I'm Dalen Turk. I'm Kara Tebow. And I'm Curtis Medina. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit about COVID-19 and the economy, uh, because apparently those two are conjoined at the hip at this point. Um, So this is going to be an example of kind of our off-the-cuff episodes. We're going to have our heavy hitters, you know, our first one starting out news literacy, Our next one coming up will be about uh, young people in politics, basically. Um, And then we want to give you some episodes in between that are going to be a little bit more of this, you know, heavy discussion, maybe a little bit more opinion based. um, But just to give you some content in between our really heavy research topics. Um, But Curtis came up with this one. And um, yeah, Curtis, why don't you take it away? Let us know what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, you know, it it just seemed a little weird to to have the podcast and not talk about COVID and everything. Uh, you know, I mean, it's it's going to be a part of every single thing in our lives for the foreseeable future. Oh, yeah. You know, the world is never going to be the same. Uh, you know, certainly in the U.S. at least. Uh, so yeah, you know, it just seemed like a really good idea not to ignore that it was happening and <laughs> you know as much kind of, as we would like to I was, yeah right i was feeling like we were in a, maybe a little bit of an alternate universe where like you know i mean, we knew it was going to come up and you know in parts but i just didn't want to ignore completely so yeah that was the idea it, it's uh it's 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 literally affecting everything in everyone's lives um actually the idea came from um, a headline, and I, you know, I don't actually remember what newspaper it was. I think it was New York Times, um, where it, the headline basically was uh, "COVID nineteen affects every aspect of American lives." And I remember thinking that was a brilliant headline because up to that point, um, what I was hearing from, especially a lot of conservatives, um, was you know, oh, this is being you know overblown, and and you know, it's just the media trying to scare us and all this stuff. And finally, you know, there was this headline that said, no, we're not overblowing this. You know, there is no possible way we could report on this too much because it is affecting everything mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it, and it will continue to affect everything, you know. So, so in the argument I made when I first like, read that when I was talking to a conservative friend of mine was, you, you know, if, if September 11th, I was just old enough to remember September 11th. I was in high school. I was a freshman in high school. And right before I, I headed off to school, I saw the news report for September 11th. And, and I remember from that point on, the news on every channel, every cable channel for about two weeks was just playing news. It didn't matter if you were watching Nickelodeon or MTV or mm-hmm. CNN. They were all playing that. So my argument was if September 11th and everything that that that, that meant you know, justified – two weeks of solid news on every channel and, you know, and, 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 you know, going to a war and all these different things, then certainly, you know, a hundred thousand plus deaths of Americans from a novel virus that came out of, you know, nowhere um, is worth that. Well, and it's funny because we see the contradiction of, and it's, it's always the argument of, well, it's not this, therefore it's that. And so all of a sudden, just nonstop for the news, 24 hours a day, it's COVID, 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 COVID. And then now we get George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, um, 
and it's, you know, Black Lives Matter. And then also like, see, it's not even on the news, you know, see, it's not happening. But if you look at the graphs and still the traction that COVID is gaining, we have not slowed down even in the slightest. I mean, there's a real privilege there saying that it's not happening or it's not still happening because, I mean, just the three of us, our lives have been impacted. I know that mm-hmm. our salaries and jobs have taken a hit. You know, we're not able to see our friends, family, partners. Like, I wish I was living in the bubble where this didn't matter, but unfortunately, <laughs> it really matters. Wouldn't that be a luxury? I would love that. There's an just, idea for uh, Trump's next hotel. It's a it's a hotel where where nobody talks about COVID. It doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Disneyland, but like instead of like Mickey and all that, it's just like you know, it's 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 how America used to be pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will say it's it. I almost feel like I'm being gaslit sometimes when I like look. I can't see my partner. They they're not allowed in this country. I wear my mask everywhere. You know our our. Our business has taken a hit. And then there's still people partying and at bars and out and doing stuff. And I'm like, wait, am I am I living in two different worlds? Why does it feel like only some of us have to take one for the team to get this pandemic under control? And I think that's a big part of the frustration. Well, and it's true. It's kind of a thing where people it's especially at the start of this, and I'm I'm so guilty of it, where you know, I would talk to my buddy Bo. And I'd be like, oh, you know, when all this started, it's like, oh, we're young. Like, it's it's only, you know, 65-year-old you know, year old people are older. Like, we're going to be fine. I'm like, okay, even if that were true, if I could not get sick myself, I could carry it. And if I go out and do all this stuff, yeah, I may not get sick, but I may get, you know, Timmy's grandma sick or you know, whoever it may be. And it's people can just be a little selfish. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm being honest here. <laughs> That's true. And the supreme irony of this is, you know, most of the people I've seen take this the most seriously are either, you know, the ones that have uh, compromised immune systems, uh, no matter what age they are. Um, and if they're healthy, the ones I've seen take it more seriously are the younger folk. You know, I mean, I've seen a lot more people uh, you know, in their twenties, thirties that, that are wearing masks and, and mm-hmm. are, are trying to, you know, adhere to the rules and all that. And frankly, I've seen almost nobody, <laughs> of, you know, in the baby boomer generation, um, that's really taken it seriously. And it's, I find it really sad that somehow this has become a partisan issue. This is not uh, at it's, all it's wild. a partisan so issue. You know, I mean, first of all, Trump closed down the country he did it with a unanimous support. I think all but like one congressman voted to, mm-hmm. you know, to do the CARES Act and all that. And, you know, I mean, there was not a lot of pushback to close the country. Trump uh, has, I just listened to it right now. I, I, you should play it after I say this. Trump said, you know, we did the right thing. And we did the right thing, John. We saved millions of lives, millions and millions of lives. You would have had anywhere from a million five to two million five, three million lives. Think of it. So if we were at 100,000, instead of 100,000, multiply that times 15, 20, or 25, it wouldn't have been acceptable. It wouldn't have been sustainable. We couldn't have done it. So uh, we've called it right, and now I want it open, and we're going to open, and if there's a fire, an ember, a flame, someplace we put it out. Now, of course, he says everything he did was the right thing, but, but, he, but you know, he did, I, I believe, I agree, 
the right thing. And so, you know, this was not a Democrats closing the country thing. This was everybody closing the country. You know, we either did it for the right reasons or the wrong reasons. And I want, really want to explore whether or not it was right in today's episode. And I also want to explore the difference between what we know now as, as opposed to what we, you know, with hindsight bias, as opposed to what we knew then and why, you know, we, we back then scientists and politicians didn't have the luxury of knowing how bad this was going to be. So heading into that, uh, why don't we start it off with something that makes complete sense. Um, how was the lockdown like Jaws? Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <Please. Go ahead. laughs> We're sitting here like getting ready for the show and we have a, a linked Google Doc where we have notes and whatnot and I see Curtis typing, Curtis would like to talk about how the lockdown was like the movie Jaws. It's like no, no, no. What? Curtis, Stay I get you. Me. I get you. I read it, I read the articles. Yeah. <laughs> it no, it totally is. It really is. So I actually I was thinking about this as things were happening. And then by complete coincidence, I was driving cross country and I happened to be driving through driving through a town that had a drive-in movie theater that was actually showing Jaws. <laughs> um, on, on the screen yeah at the drive-in movie theater because they're having kind of a comeback and i'm already a big fan i actually just went fan. to my uh, first one the other day uh we watched space jam that's awesome it was nice it was super fun it's great right yeah, yeah. it's fantastic i grew up near i grew up near drive-in i love them i hope they never go away anyway great. but yeah so so it just <laughs> so I, I had to stop to see it because i had already been thinking about this okay so let's let's start at the beginning right so jaws starts off one woman is swimming she gets killed and, you know, up to that point, it's sort of just normal, uh, you know, ocean danger, you know, occasionally right. somebody's going to get, somebody's going to die from a shark bite, you don't, or, you know, or a shark attack, you don't have to, you know, close down the beaches or anything. Swim at it's your own person. risk. Yeah, swim at, you know, everyone understands that or whatever. And then another one happens, right? And, and there's that great scene where the mother comes up to the son, to the uh, sheriff and says, you know, you knew this, that there was this shark out there and you still like didn't close the beaches, you know, like, and she like slaps them and it's super dramatic. Well, okay. So then, so then, so keep following my logic here. So, so, right. you know, so, so when, so then um, the sheriff decides that he's going to close down the beaches, but what's the problem? The problem is it is, uh, you know, the, the big holiday weekend, I forget which one it was, but it's the big holiday weekend in the beach town and uh, actually, oh, it's 4th of July, I believe. Um, Makes and, sense. Uh, you know, highest grossing weekend or whatever for the, for the town. They can't, you know, they don't want to close the businesses They're, you know, it's just, it's, you know, they don't want to have an overreaction. And, and so the politician says, no, I'm not going to close the beaches. So, th so they do this, this thing where like everyone's a little scared, a little on edge, but they still keep it open. And then they go out and what happens? Somebody else gets killed from a shark. And, and, and there's this great scene that I don't even know if most people really remember from it and I, you should watch it again where the politician um, is at the hospital with the sheriff and he comes up to him and, and he's shaken because he's made this decision not to, you know, or that he made the decision not to close the beach up to that point. And he said, and he says, you know, you don't kind of like, you don't need to tell me it was the wrong decision. My son was out there too. He could have died, you know? And so I just kept thinking of this with, you know, with COVID, you know, we, we, we had the warnings, a few people were dying we were told that it was over exaggeration. We didn't need to go to the step of closing down the country. Uh, you know, you know, just as bad as it normally is. All these things, and then it happens. You know, a bunch of people die. 
uh, and and then at that point, once it was already too late, we closed the country just like they closed the beaches in Jaws, um, and it costs so much money for all the different business owners. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> and then even at that point, the conversations become how can we get the businesses back open? Mm-hmm. Not like, you know, and how can we get this done as quickly as possible? So, I mean, I just, for me, I don't know what it was, you know, like it, I just kept thinking at the different stages of COVID, this is exact, this is following like the exact uh, problem and, and like plot of Jaws. And I just, I don't know. I just could not get away from it. Well, I actually remember when Florida was grappling with, do we shut the beaches or not? Politicians on Twitter were like, you're the mayor from Jaws. Like they were all, yep. So I'm surprised, (laughs) Curtis, I'm very impressed you came up with that yourself, unless you read an article and forgot. And now it's your own genius. But yeah, it was totally like people were going after them and they're like, do you want to be known as the mayor from Jaws? That's exactly what's going to (laughs) happen. And then imagine if like Jaws had little babies that escaped on the beach and could like walk on land because that's right, what COVID right. is like. Right. That's that that's the thing is when you have certain things like a, a Jaws situation, the beauty of that is at one point you do get to close it off and it doesn't the threat doesn't exist anymore. But with COVID, with any type of virus, like there's no shutting it out. So if you let it right. in, there's no going back on that. Un- unfortunately, COVID doesn't just live in the water. Wouldn't that be so nice if it did? <laughs> just, I would just avoid the water. Like <laughs> yeah. I mean, even that, people would be like, oh, you know, I, I, it's my God-given right to go out. <laughs> oh, <and go> true. <laughs> if I want to go dip my toes, I'm going to do it. And then, see, and there we go, making fun of the stereotypes. Wow. Uh, but, like, and it's also, you look at what happened, and, you know, and it was Florida or Georgia, I can't remember, but, you know, everyone's like, we need to open the beaches, and they finally did. And all these kids, you know, go out and jump in the water and party and get drunk. And then all of a sudden, in the next week, there's a spike of 10,000 cases. Oh, those were my favorite videos. Like, if I get it, I get it. And then two weeks later, I got it. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God, who would have thought that's going to happen? I feel bad for laughing at that. But, like, you know. I don't know what else I, I can th- do. I think the problem is, you know, people take things different th- th- with different levels of seriousness. And there's nothing, like, inherent – like, there's nothing that says that you – you don't have to be a jerk and you don't have to be selfish about it. You know, there's nothing that says, okay, for example, like, you know, every, every step of the way, every time the government has ever tried to give um, recommendations to save people's lives, it's mm-hmm. always been met with, you know, with, with, with a lot of pushback. You know, I think back to like, you know, when seatbelts or whatever, I, I wasn't alive when that happened, when seat, but, but when seatbelts were first like put into cars, the first company that did it, um, I, I believe it was Ford, um, you know, they actually got a lot of pushback as like sort of like being the boring car, like you know the you know the safe car or whatever, because they had seatbelts. And then what they found was, you know, over a period of time, like these people who were driving these cars were dying like half as met as much as all the other cars, you know. And so and so eventually, the government was like, okay, we got to put these seatbelts in the cars. And and even to this day, there are people that that even though they know it can save themselves, like don't want to be told to do it. And, and they don't really care enough about their own lives or in some cases, even their kids to, to make them do it too. And it's such an easy thing, you know, put on a seatbelt. This is such an easy thing. Put on a mask. It's, it's, it's not, 
rocket science, you know, but it, people take it different ways. I feel like there's a lot of reasons for that. And just a couple of them specifically in America have to do with uh, American identity is all about freedom, right? Like it's, that is our identity as a lot of Americans. America is also not known to other countries as being a very united country. There's a lot of, (laughs) it's very autonomous, right? It's, I pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I do me and you do you. So the concept of like collectivism is not a big one here. So that's hard for us to understand. And then I think it also has a lot to do with your lived experiences, which is why, you know, the baby boomer generation, maybe their lived experiences are, well, I've been through this, I've been through that and nothing bad happened to me. Why is it going to happen now? I mean, just for example, with that seatbelt comment, my stepdad, when he was in the military, I guess he was, he was a deployed somewhere and he did not have a seatbelt on and apparently it saved his life not having it on so now he's convinced because of that life experience he doesn't wear a seatbelt and it's like right that is such a specific life experience or that's your life experience but that doesn't speak to the science or the greater you know situation going on with why seatbelts are important so i feel like with a lot of people with covid it's like well i've already been out x amount of weeks and haven't gotten sick or i've been through war or i've been through worse and it's like that does not mean that this doesn't matter either. I don't know. I I think we have to understand a little bit about how people's experiences in life m- impact them today and the decisions mm-hmm. that they make in terms of COVID. That's true. It's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, my father-in-law, I remember having a conversation with him. He's a cop and he he doesn't agree with the, like you have to wear a seatbelt law because he says it, if you don't want to see, wear a seatbelt, that's your decision. Like, if you want to risk killing yourself, that's on you. Like, why should we have to enforce that? Uh, it's it's an interesting, I guess, ideology to have when it comes to that safety. It's that it's such an American ideology of like this is and you know this is not necessarily how it is in other countries. Like a, a lot of my European friends, they don't understand how Americans they see us as very selfish, and whether that's true or not. And sometimes I'm a little defensive over it. But they, Americans are viewed typically as we do what we want to do. We don't care about what it means for the greater good. And sorry about your luck if something bad happens to you. We, we have a very hard time with all getting on the same page. Oh, and you know, let me say too, I mean, there, there are good, good parts about the way that we are very protective of our freedoms in the U.S. Yes. You know, so, so, it's, so, you know, it's interesting because – like, even though it creates this problem of, of our, you know, need to appeal to someone's sort of decency rather than just legislate it, um, like a lot of other countries would do, um, you know, even though that's a problem, it's also a good thing in some ways um, because we do have a lot more freedoms than a lot of other countries. Oh, for um, sure. For, for example, um, there, was, there, was a, there was a crew of people coming from over from the UK that I worked with a few years ago. Um, they were doing a, like sort of like a docu series and, and, and because I had never really met anyone really that lived in the UK <laughs> before this, um, I, I was asking them, you know, I was like, Oh yeah, I heard that you guys have like cameras like everywhere. Like CCTV it, baby. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> it's like staring into your, you know, into your bedroom or something, you know, it's like, there's no real, you know, there's no law against it or whatever. You have to just, close your bedroom door or when, you know, um, shades or whatever, um, you know, and, and, and when I asked them about that, they were like, oh yeah, yeah, that happens. And I was like, so you're just like, okay with that? You know, it's been like whatever, 15 years or something like, and that's okay. And they were like, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it seems like it saved some lives or something. Mm-hmm. And it just blew my mind because I, w- I was thinking, you know, 
in the U.S., if we tried to do that, if we put cameras on on every single, you know, light post or whatever, like there would be so much problem with that, you know. And and so in a way, like I kind of like the way that we aren't completely, you know, all for just doing something all the time for some, some for some good because we also see there are some, you know, bad things to that as well. Right. Sometimes the greater good isn't the best justification. Right. To give up your rights. I mean, think about, you know, the Patriot Act or something, you know, it's like that was that was reasoned as the greater good, you know, but we lost a lot of rights in that. And and I'm not sure if it is the greater good. So I like that we have that conversation. I like that we're not necessarily made to do a lot of these things like a lot of other countries. But at the same time, that doesn't give us, you know, free range to be jerks <laughs> and to be selfish, you know, in a way we, I, I feel like in order to protect our, those freedoms, we have to be more giving to be like, you know what, this is a, a unique time. This is not something that we're going to, you know, hopefully have to do forever. But right now this is what we need mm-hmm. to do and come together instead of this idea of being split apart. Well, and I think we, a lot of times take it for granted. Like I saw some pictures going around on Facebook and it was some, a group, you know, like four white people on the street and they're holding up signs that said masks equal oppression. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, you've had a sheltered life if you think wearing a mask <laughs> for health reasons means oppression. And it's just I feel like we need to gain a wider perspective of, you know, what we really have like going for us. Well, And I know that that's a much bigger topic and many podcast episodes talk about, but I do think it speaks to the fact that like, so we're so lucky here. And especially for, you know, white citizens, we don't get told no a lot. They've not experienced a lot of their freedoms being taken away, so to speak, or anything like that. And this is hard to grapple with for the first time you're being told no you can't do something and you have to follow this and that like it's yeah it's their freedom taken away the other thing too is you know like i feel like like there was there was no right answer this is that's the problem with this like there was no there was no good choice here you know either you know millions of people get get sick possibly die you know or you know by doing nothing or you do some of these things, but nobody takes it seriously. I think the measure was hard. if we didn't do anything at all, it would be like 2.2 million deaths or something right. like that. Th- that's the number that, that Trump was quoted um, and or that, that he as, as saying, as following based on um, a bunch of different computer simulations. Um, some of those have been brought into question, of course, which should, should happen by uh, there's a libertarian think tank, uh, the Cato Cato Institute, I think, um, that, you know, that brought into a lot of question um, whether or not those were accurate. But again, this is 2020 bias. You know, we can see, we can see, now we can see, we can argue about whether, you know, how many lives were saved. But going into it, you know, that's what all of the best data said. And to Trump's credit, for once, I will say to Trump's credit, he did not get in the way of that scientific data. Right. And, I think did the right thing, but you know, everyone likes to blame the government for, you know, for being authoritarian or being cruel, being inefficient. But, you know, I think the fact is that we like in America to complain and blame the government for everything, even if it's something that we actually agree with. Like, for example, I have a bunch of events that have gotten canceled because of COVID. Every time 
I get an email saying an event's canceled. They don't say we canceled it. They say the government told us no. And it's just this really like convenient scapegoat that we use that, you know, that, um, that, that we don't have to justify it ourselves. It's easier if somebody else is saying it that we can blame and then point fingers later. But no, and I think, and you wrote down here, and it's so easy to point at the government and to point at Trump when he's such a common enemy of so many people in this country. Um, and even for others, you, know, you can point towards Nancy Pelosi and um, what's his face? The um, Schumer, Chuck Schumer. Um, but really in terms of how this started and right now there's a lot of confusion of are we're going to get a second wave do we shut down again do we continue reopening but when this all started aside from congress kind of having a little bit of a pissing match back and forth with the cares act um they were really generous you note here that um with unemployment, they expanded that to gig workers and private contractors. They added the $600 a week to unemployment on top of what you already get, you know, the 40% of what your normal pay is, which kept me alive. Me like, too. If I didn't have that, I would be drowning right now. And it's not like there's any jobs out there for me to go get. And so without that, along with the 21 million other people on unemployment, this country would be in a lot worse shape yeah you know we called this unemployment but but really this was disaster relief you know oh, absolutely. They, exactly yep. yeah they didn't call it that because you know you know i don't know nobody wants to think of themselves as victims of a disaster but but if this were unemployment you know we would have gotten 40 percent, and we would have had you know of what we usually make we would have had to uh, you know, constantly be looking for a new job and all that, thing, all that stuff. And this was unprecedented that, you know, we actually did not want people going out to work. We did not want people, you know, having to go out. We really wanted you to stay home, you know? So like, so, so they had to do that $600 a week because what that equaled was the average pay of, of Americans across the nation. The problem with that is they need to do it quickly. They didn't have enough time to like calculate every single person's right. exact income. So they did an average. And in some cases, people didn't make as much as they usually do. Um, I know that's kind of true for me because I make a lot of my money in short periods of time that, mm -hmm. I, that I, I'm started missing. Um, and in other ways, um, you know, some people made more than they usually do, me. which, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and, and that was a, a, source of contention for especially a lot of conservatives, um, you know, because for one, which is, I think is a very valid reason that it would, uh, you know, once, once the pandemic started slowing down, how, how do we actually get people incentivized to go back to work? Right. Uh, you know, so that's a very real thing. There's, that's, it's a good point. Um, and then, uh, and, and I'm totally losing my train of thought, but yeah. And then the other thing was, um, you know, would they, I don't know, they didn't really say this, but I think they were worried that people wouldn't want to go back to their old pay once they realized that they're making less than the national average. Um, you know, like, for example, I was, so I was watching an episode of Cheers. It's like my favorite sitcom. <laughs> Cheers is pretty solid. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, the, and this is in 1991, I think this episode was, and uh, Carla is joking with somebody that they feel bad about themselves because they only make $7 an hour. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness, this is 2020. 
And, you know, in a lot of states, $7 an hour is still the average, you know, is the, is the minimum wage for a lot of people, you know, and mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this is almost 30 years later. Well, and then <laughs> you, you know, look so- at, you look at the states that still for um, servers at restaurants, you know, they can make below minimum wage because they account for tips. Exactly. So, you know, some, some people are still making something like that. Yeah. And if you don't get tips, you know, you're screwed. Um, but I know what is Texas is, is Texas's minimum wage? Yeah, I know Montana's is I think eight twenty five. I think Oregon's um, is like ten. <laughs> I know. Um, but then you look at the cost of living for different places, and sure, like obviously the cost of living. I know there's um this map that floats around the internet, and it's the cost of an average two bedroom apartment in every state. Um, and like, and it was how much you have to make per hour to afford it. And in Montana, it's like it was like eighteen dollars an hour, but in New York, it was like fifty six dollars an hour. Something right. absurd, just to survive, right? <laughs> well, I think that same chart actually said something about that. I, that like for the first time ever, I think no state's minimum wage actually meant you'd have enough to to live on your own, like and not fall behind, right? Um, I believe that's what that chart was saying. Well, it's it's the thing of, you know, you get baby, baby boomers, uh, <laughs> baby boomers and whatnot. They say, you know, when I was your age, you know, I was working a full-time job, 40 hours a week. Your mom was at home. We had, you know, four kids. We had a house. We had two cars, a dog, all this. And it's like, yeah, but back in, you know, your day, like that was a living wage. You could do that right. on a single living wage. Now – there's no way you could do that unless you're making, you know, good amount of money. There's just no way you can do that. Well, the thing too is, you know, a lot of these states want to want to keep it where it is though. They don't really have a lot of incentive to go up because keeping it lower actually brings in a lot of retirees. You know, that's a big thing I know in South Carolina where I spend a lot of my year, um, you know, where, you know, so you make the good money in New York, you work, you work your, your tail off for your whole career and you don't settle in New York. That's too expensive. You go to South Carolina where the cost of living is much lower, meaning and which, you know, equals the housing prices or whatever are also much lower. And so they use that to their advantage. But the problem is the people who live locally in these places that are, you know, so much uh, socioeconomically lower um, they don't get to reap those benefits. They stay in poverty as new people from other places buy up all the, you know, the, the property. <laughs> so it, it's really not a good way to do it. Having every state have their own random, you know, uh, a wage. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I mean, so that created a huge problem, you know, with uh, with the, when, when you're trying to decide uh, how much to pay people so that it equals their actual wage that they would have made or that they need, you know, th- then that's a huge problem. And and that's not the fault of politicians. That's the fault of a lot of bad laws over the years that, I mean, I, mean, I guess from that point, you know, point of view, it's from politicians, but I guess I should say it's not from just right now. It's from, you know, 40, 50 years of, of inflation out of control and, and different states having different rules. Well, Curtis, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but, you know, you mentioned the frustration with some people who maybe they couldn't get unemployment or they were making less than normal. And I actually think that's a huge problem that drove a lot of resentment and a lot of bitterness towards the whole way that we're handling coronavirus. Because I know 
a lot of people who either were still working full time or were due salary and right. they couldn't qualify for unemployment or they were watching their teenage kid make like three grand a week because of the way something right. worked out, which is true. I know two people that happened to. It, I think it made – it refocused frustration and took it away from, okay, we need to be angry at this virus. And now all of a sudden it was, well, that's not fair and this is frustrating and now I'm mad about this and we just need to stop this whole thing. So I think there was like this underlying bitterness that came from the PPE bill that came out and that didn't help us anything. It stoked the fires a lot. And I think in addition to that – what coronavirus taught us is that the American economy in particular is incredibly fragile. I mean, oh, within yeah. a week, within a week of these things happening, people didn't know how to pay their their bills. They didn't know how to pay their rent. We, we had to stop evictions because we'd have a mass homeless crisis on our hands. People didn't know how to go get tested because they couldn't afford it with their insurance. The gig economy was so strong that all these people were out of a job and not eligible for any type of social support systems. I mean, this... I've heard a lot of people say, hey, we can't go back to how things have been. Like, we've got to put some more social and safety nets in here because our economy unraveled within a week. That's scary. That scared me. And I think when you have scared, bitter, angry, frustrated people, no, they're not going to wear the mask you told them to wear. They're mad. They they don't, their (laughs) their choices have been taken away from them because their, their livelihood was taken away from them. And so I, in that sense, I have a lot more empathy for people who are frustrated because they're just mm-hmm. mad. Like they're they're scared too. And I think mm-hmm. fear drives us to do a lot of things that we wouldn't normally do. Yeah. I mean, let's be frank, you know, uh, service workers got screwed in this. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, we call them heroes and, you know, they're getting paid two fifty an hour. I mean, you know. So. <laughs> I mean, they should, they should be getting hazard pay. Like they're, they're on the front least. lines. Yeah. But, you know, but if they weren't even if they weren't if, if the state they lived in wasn't even willing to pay them minimum wage, the real minimum wage, mm-hmm. you know, then, then, you know, what's the chances of, of, of them getting hazard pay or really, you know, getting the respect they deserve? Um, well, and I think to add on top of all that frustration, and that fear, nobody still knows what's going on. Right. And so it's very hard for people who might already be a little bit distrustful of call it scientists or the media or whoever you want to call it when the message is changing every week or every mm-hmm. couple of weeks, because we just, we didn't know, right? At first we thought, okay, this will only affect certain people. And then we were finding out that the majority of people sick were in their thirties, you know, in late thirties. Mm-hmm. And then we were finding out, well, do this and then don't do this. So I, I really think it's just a boiling point of people just yeah. being so irritated because all of their personal freedom is stripped away. And as Americans, when have we ever, at least in our generation or going back several generations, experience something like this where you're not allowed to make certain choices anymore. You know, and I think there's – I think it could be argued there's more confusion right now about what's going on than when there was at the beginning of COVID. Because although at the beginning of COVID it erupted and there was just every single news source and every single source on the internet and everybody has different facts that no one's ever heard of. But I would take over – or I would take that just – pouring of information rather than right now where no one's talking about it. Like no one really knows what's happening right now. Well, and just the the misinformation. And I know I read an article a, a week or so ago about the the dangers of the misinformation that we're getting and the real impact it has. Like when you talk about bleach and lights and things like that to treat coronavirus, people are injecting themselves with bleach. People are doing all these crazy things. I mean, I feel pretty in touch with what's going on. And I still can't tell you, like, 
obviously I wear my mask and I think that's important, but then I like actually get confused by all the stuff I see on Facebook or sent through text message threads that mm -hmm. it's like wearing your mask is actually bad for you and the oxygen levels go down and they're actually oh. not safe. And I'm just like, but, but what's the truth? Yeah. My dad shared, we have, um, it's called the family forum. It's just a Facebook <laughs> chat with like our family and I love my father, but he is a hard nosed Republican who takes a lot of things at face value. Just that's what it is. Like he doesn't really dig. And so he shared this video and it was of a, and I think I referenced it in episode one and she, it was a nurse or she was a nurse who has a friend who's also a nurse at an undisclosed hospital yeah. in New York <laughs> and all this stuff. And she's talking about like, you know, and you wear masks and it, what it's doing is it's changing your, you know, acidity in your blood and, you know, the car and all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. And so the government's doing this to make you feel sick and it's going to, you know, inhibit your choices and it's going to change your and all this stuff. It'll and make you like, vote Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but, and yeah, it's just, there's just so much confusion um, and just so much that people just guess and just assume but, but also I, we talked about this on our last episode, right, about these like echo chambers and this concept of selecting what news you get so it validates what you want. So – and that's – we can't do that with science. But but it's out there. It's out there. If you – science is pretty black and white. And yes, we don't know a lot about the coronavirus and there's a lot of things that come up. But a lot of things we do know and people are still finding ways to skew that or, you know, come up with alternative ideas. So if you don't want to wear a mask, if you believe that you should be able to go to the bar tomorrow, et cetera, you're going to go find places on the internet with people who claim to be or are nurses, doctors, whatever, to validate that opinion. So of course things are confusing because guess what? There's nobody up in D.C. anymore telling us what to do. Like we're just done talking about it. So people are legitimately getting their information from Facebook or their family group chats. Well, and, and, and but it's – and I agree with you. But I also – like I don't mind when people question science. That's okay. It is. The problem is when they when they put up their opinion without citing a similar number of sources as what they're refuting. You know, you can say the world is flat. That is not right, but you can say it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, at one time we, you know, we thought the world was flat and the crazy thing was the world was round. So it's no one crazy. believed them. Yeah, you know, yeah, I would have thought it would, it would have seemed crazy at that time. But then they used science and proved it over and over and over again that the only way it could be was the world was round. And then we went to space and the world was round, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> you know, so like, so, you know, it's, it's science is not absolute. You, science can be wrong. Science is wrong a lot. We're probably going to find, you know, looking back on this 10 years from now, we're going to find that this was wrong and we should have done that wrong, you know, for differently, sure. you know, that mask worked for this, but it was totally wrong for this. You know, that, that is going to be a thing. So it's not, you know, so like if the listeners out there and they're like, you know, thinking, oh, well, you know, that, does that just mean that we need to listen and, you know, always wear a mask and never question? No, please question. But the problem I have is, is when people just post a rant on, on, you know, on Facebook, which I just saw, um, you know, about the mask thing. 
and and people just believe it like you said at face value and and they're not really putting critical thinking in this they're not mm-hmm. they're not they're not citing sources you know and 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 that's dangerous because if because you, if you create doubt like that shouldn't be allowed because like so you have free speech right but it's but free speech is not absolute you cannot uh, yell fire in a theater that's not on fire uh, you know that 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 was something the Supreme Court had to deal with because there was there was there had to be a limitation to to free speech and if you went so far as to create chaos when especially when you knew that that did not that that was not true like that didn't was not covered under free speech and I and I, I I'd hope that people would self-regulate themselves well and I guess I should point out too that a lot of my frustration doesn't necessarily come from people finding different facts and whether they're true or not it's that I just don't know who's leading us right now in this. I'm mm-hmm. literally, I, like I said, I feel like I'm pretty in touch with what's going on. I have a background in public health, so to speak. And I'm getting so confused by what I'm reading on, on Facebook or Twitter or in, or in our group chats. And I'm like, I don't know what's true, but I don't, I don't feel like we have a government to look to right now. I feel like every state's doing their own thing. Local leaders are contesting, you know, their governors that's happening in, in Austin right now. And it's frustrating that we don't have anyone guiding us through this right now. You know, I'm bringing it back to kind of the main topic of the episode, kind of more focused on the economy and COVID. It makes me wonder if we need Trump or Congress, whatever, to lead in something in kind of like a a new, new deal, which I think there already was a new, new deal. So a new, new, new deal. Kind of an idea, but I wonder. Well, there was one proposed. I don't think that one passed. I think, like you know, the talking. Mm-hmm. Are we talking about the Green New Deal? Or no, I. I what is the new New Deal? Someone, if you're listening, send us an email, pwbnetwork at gmail because I know there's obviously FDR's New Deal, but I, for, for some reason, please I do remember, the work for us. Yeah, I remember <laughs> there. I remember there being something about a new New Deal. I could be wrong. I could be just making this up. Um, but no, so I'm, I'm wondering if we need that centralized. And it's it's ironic because most of the people arguing that we need to reopen the economy are the people against big government. And so I wonder if creating another CCC, which is a Civilian Conservation Corps, um, that basically put uh, – I think that was put into place in like 1932. Um, and it basically put – um, young men, like ages 18 to 25-ish, basically doing work in communities. They, you know, helped uh, build state parks, though. infrastructure. They, you know, planted millions and millions of trees. They built bridges. And it basically, it was the government's way of creating jobs that ultimately helped conserva- conserva- conservation <laughs> Good God. and help the communities. Um, because I think what people fail to understand, and it's the argument, oh, jobs will be coming back. They're not going to be there because the majority of the people and the businesses that are suffering right now are small businesses. For example, um, over – I I don't know the exact number. um, This is coming from an article from the Washington Post. Um, Over 100,000 small businesses have closed permanently. They're not coming back. Um, 4.2 million small businesses received funding from the relief bill, but that's only of the 30 million small companies in the country. Um, and that's not even what 
the act kind of failed to help out with is, you know, they gave the money to help with expenses and help more specifically with payroll, but they didn't take into account those micro firms, which micro firms basically mean small businesses that are employ one to 10 people. And, you know, those small businesses where they have large overhead costs where they can't afford rent, you know, or they well, can't the, do these small things. The EIDL was was what what was supposed to fix that. Um, I, I actually fell into that under my business because mm-hmm. uh, I'm a one-person independent contractor, small business kind of right. mix between the two. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, so, you know, if I had employees, I would have loved to have, you know, done the PPP and helped them out and all that. Um, that was a great move. But, but yeah, in my case, I needed to do the EIDL. EIDL was uh, economic injury disaster loan. And what that's meant to do is it's meant to be a capital loan to fix exactly what you're talking about. Um, it was much less talked about. It is much more general. Uh, it ran out of money about the same time the PPP did, and then it was refunded uh, or funded again, I guess. maybe. Is this one clear. like where um, I know like the Lakers got a big loan and like all the is, which is just. I don't know. Shake Shack. And that, and, like, that just shows <laughs> the, because although they can be like, yeah, we made the bill, it shows the inefficiency of the government to actually make it happen correctly. Um, and not to say that they didn't miss the mark. Like, I, I, you know, for you example, like obviously it's helping you a lot. Um, but it took two months and it took two months. Whereas (laughs) the Lakers got their bill, their money like immediately. I mean, they're the Lakers. I kind of expect that. (laughs) (laughs) Who am I? (laughs) And it's just, but it's wild though, that because after this, the economy will never be the same. The, you know, industry will never be the same. We're going to, the retail and the service industry is going to change just drastically, um, especially with uh, new tech companies coming through with all these different, basically, home services, you know, whether it be some kind of a streaming, some kind of a home delivery, some kind of, a, you know, FaceTiming, um, you know, obviously, I heard it Zoom is on fire right now. As I heard it explained by an economist, everything that was already happening is just going to be sped up. You know, I mean, we were already in, you know, to the point where, where things like online sale, uh, sales were, you know, not surpassing, but definitely like gaining a lot of traction on brick and mortar buildings, things like that. So, you know, that's going to happen. And also I was going to mention from your point before Dalen that, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because unemployment wasn't always around. Unemployment was a yeah. product of the great depression. Um, and it didn't come about right away. Uh, Herbert Hoover fought against doing any kind of new deal, any kind of government intervention, and I think he ended up regretting it, not just because he lost his reelection, but because when he left office, you know, it was like 25% unemployment. I think it was like 40 something percent of Americans were uh, either unemployed or extremely underemployed, meaning they were just barely scraping by, you know, people were literally starving at that time. And at that time there was no unemployment. So, you know, so so when FDR came around and, and made the New Deal, which is why he's the hero of a lot of people who don't mind big government, who yeah. you know, either have family that told them about you know, what dark times it was and how it was needed to sort of pad these uh, deep um, you know, uh, 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 dips in the economy, 
um, and to you know to make it not quite so bad because in in economics you know you're told that that recessions are going to happen no matter what you do, but these are supposed to just sort of help um, keep it less volatile. Um, you know, so so FDR came in and he made this new deal and it and it you know it started things like unemployment, it started things like social security, um, all of these safety nets that you know a lot of people call entitlements be, to be kind of blunt about it. But 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 I call them safety nets because ever since the Great Depression, as many times as a lot of people who don't like big government have tried to get rid of it, it they have been extremely popular with a wide array of Americans because they actually work. And and so if if the Great Depression led us to make these these big changes in in you know in government helping its citizens. I don't think it's out of, you know, the question to say, yeah, you know, maybe we're already in a place that we needed this, you know, uh, you know, maybe Bernie had a point, (laughs) 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 you know, and maybe now it's even worse, you know, there's all these glaring things, you know, it's not to say that we want people, you know, staying at home on welfare or anything like that, but like, you know, but, but maybe we can use government for good instead of just saying throw it all out because of its inefficiencies. And I think one way we combat that, and this is something that we talk about a lot when, you know, I'm a proponent of some type of healthcare reform and we kind of try to talk about this when when we discuss it, is that it is a mistake if you believe that what happens to the people in your community doesn't impact you. It, it, it does. If we didn't have any of this unemployment relief, if we didn't pause evictions for a while, which, you know, I, I hope that we work that out before it all hits at once, it does impact you. If, you're, if your community is full of newly homeless individuals because they just got kicked out of their apartment, if nobody in your community can afford to work, if your kid's teacher gets sick and can't afford the health care bill, if, you know, your neighbor's home gets foreclosed and now someone knocks it down to build something next to you – it, it does impact you. And so we need to move away from this, okay, well, we need to stop bailing everyone out and remember that if, when we bolster our economy with these types of programs, it, it genuinely, I believe, helps all of us. And it, it does matter at the end of the day. We're, we're all in this web intertwined. And so when we're building these social programs, it's so that we can protect all of our economy, so that all of us can participate in it and be protected in it somehow. There was a one... Um, act that was put into place as part of the New Deal, and it's called the the National Industrial Recovery Act. Um, and it's one of the lesser known ones um, because it was pretty much a complete failure. Um, and um, and partly because like FDR, when it was basically um, just destroyed by the Supreme Court, um, and FDR said because um, they were all stuck in, um, I think I have the quote here, um, FDR would use this court opinion as evidence that the court was living in the horse and buggy era and needed to be reformed. <laughs> but basically with the National Recovery Act attempted or tried to do, and it was ran by what was called the National Recovery Administration, the NRA, uh, funny enough, um, it basically... Different NRA. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was put into place in 1933, um, you know, trying to escape the Great Depression, but it basically worked to create a level playing field in industries for, you know, the small guys to get just as ahead as the big guy. Um, and 
basically what, and there's a lot of different ideas as to why it didn't work. Um, but some of the, and I um, got this from, it's called ourdocuments.gov. Um, actually a pretty cool website. They have a lot of uh, cool documents on here. Um, but basically they put the wrong people in charge. They put industry leaders in charge of it <laughs> and um, didn't work out great. Um, a lot of the politicians that were working directly with it just had, you know, ulterior motives. Um, and But that's only part of why it didn't work. But I wonder if we need a program like that heading out of this if we do completely reopen up because we have, you know, these leading tech companies, which tech is taking over everything. You know, we've got Amazon, we've got Facebook, we've got Netflix, you know, all these different companies that are just taking over the country. I wonder if we need to create some kind of an act, some kind of a program that can help, you know, these smaller businesses gain traction when coming out of this the big businesses are basically going to be perfectly fine. Like they're not going to be affected. Um, and so. Well, they're not going to go out of business in most. And yes, yeah, sorry. They, they will be affected, <laughs> be affected, but yeah, everyone's going to be affected, but obviously, you know, it's not Jim and Joe who started, you know, their shoe repair shop 14 years ago. Um, and they're going to have our time getting back. So I wonder if we need some kind of a program like that where other than, hey, here's some money, pay your employees, you know, pay your rent. If we need something that cre can create that, you know, economic incentive for consumers not only to get involved, but to give, you know, small businesses something to look towards. Well, and there's a lot of people that are very anti-regulation, anti-everything you just said. And, you know, the thing I try to explain to people is you like the regulations that that you don't know about. You know, you like regulations that sort of like, you know, say that you can, you can, only, you can only have this much. Um, this, is a, this is actually a real thing. You can only have this much rat feces in pepper. <laughs> like... <laughs> That's a real I'll regulation. I'll skip the pepper tonight at dinner. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's it's hardly anything. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but uh, such a trace but, amount. But they had to make a law because because it used to be a lot more. <laughs> um, you know, and so like so you know so so when it comes to like government government intervention, you like the things that you don't think about. You know, there's lots of ones that work. It's just the ones that don't work, they fail and sometimes they make your life harder. So, you know, and so, so it's not to say that we should just let it go willy nilly, but, but, you know, but, but it's, it's not, it, it is okay for government to do something that fails as long as we pivot to something that works and, and use that right. to, you know, to, to do what's the next right thing. And the, the, the depression taught us tons of lessons, not just the things that worked, but the things that didn't work as to what we um, can do later in other recessions that we actually have used even in this, in this recession to make it better. Things like cutting interest rates, you know, things like um, insuring bank banks so they don't got, they don't just, you know, have a run and go out of business. I mean, All these different things. People just don't lose their money. Yeah. That used to be a thing, but in this recession, you know, you didn't have people run into the bank you know, to, to get their money out because the government was there to pat, to, to pat it, you know, to, mm -hmm. to, they made, they made some changes. So, you know, so every, so, you know, I have a hard time when I'm talking to libertarians that, that, you know, that just say no government is good. You know, I have a hard time that, uh, believing that there's not 
some huge aspects of government that doesn't affect their lives in a positive way that if it were not there, they wouldn't be able to have the privilege to say all these complaints. It's uh, funny. We have uh, a couple guys I worked with at the radio station. One is uh, pretty, uh, and this is kind of like a funny thing, um, but one's a pretty hard libertarian. Another one is a pretty hard Democrat. And we created new America, which is basically libertarian America and great America, which is a liberal America. And it's That's divided. actually a theme park. <laughs> <laughs> and Go it's on. divided east and west on the Mississippi. And every time they need to convene and create new legislation, they meet on at a Chick-fil-A that is on a bridge over the Mississippi River. And that that is how that is how government is handled between New America and Great America. We we talked about this for a long time. I don't see the problem. No, I, I mean, let's be real here. Just kidding. Well, okay. So you know, when you don't know when you don't know how to fix a problem, you kind of throw the the what I call the kitchen sink approach at it. You know, you basically do everything you can um, to stop it. And I think that's what we had. You know, when when uh, this crisis first started, uh, we threw every single thing we could at stopping this and mitigating yeah. it. Um, you know, you could say too late, we might've done it too late, but once we did it, we threw everything we could at it. And in hindsight, it might, there might be some things that were failures that we shouldn't have done or that, you know, that, that could have been better, but you can only say that in hindsight, you know, when you're look when you're, a, when you're a science professional and you're looking at this epidemic coming up ahead of you, you don't know what you're dealing with. You don't know how bad this disease is, um, you know, your natural response is going to be, let's do everything we can. You know, I think that's very natural. It's fascinating too. And we're um, coming up on an hour um, for this episode, but you get, and we're guilty of it in this episode because we were supposed to also talk about, you know, the science, a little bit of the science behind COVID and, you know, how we determine the death toll and, you know, where we get those numbers and, how a coroner decides if someone died from COVID or they died from something else. But most people talk about the economic struggle, the economic hardships, you know, what COVID does to the economy. Not many people talk about what COVID does to your health, what it does to the healthcare system. Um, and it's just because I think what you'll see is that economy hurts you you can see the economy you can see the pain from the economy first thing but if you don't have someone around you who's being affected by covid you don't see that firsthand right and and, and because we we've made the decision to, to close the economy for or partially close the economy for a while you know that was the fallout you know but had we not closed the country we might have been talking a lot more about about the health fallout you know if every city in america which, and this could have been definitely a thing that happened was just like New York city, you know, every city in America, yeah. whether big with big hospitals or small cities with smaller hospitals and less beds, you know, we could have, we could have been de dealing with running out of beds. We could have been dealing with, you know, a huge percentage of the healthcare workers getting sick and not being able to come into work or dying. Um, you know, we could have been dealing with people who normally would have went to the hospital, say with a heart attack or whatever, and being fine, but because they can't get into that hospital because it's overrun with, exactly. with people with COVID, they would have died from the heart attacks and things like that. You know, so so uh, it's 
there are so many things that could have happened. I want to bring up something really quick. I don't want to like forget to to say this because I know we're running out of time. So have you guys ever heard of the trolley problem? Uh, Is it where you pull the lever? Yeah. You you either kill one person or you let it kill five people. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, it's an ethical dilemma with no good choices. And I, and other than my comparison with Jaws, the other thing I've been thinking about (laughs) (laughs) of, of, you know, of how, of how this has been sort of going is, is, you know, what a terrible, but interesting, like psychological experiment this whole thing was Mm -hmm. because as politicians, as healthcare workers, as regular people, we all had this moral dilemma, you know, do we let, uh, you know, a, um, a small number of people, um, die or how say it a different way. Do we let more people die and, and, and do nothing, but, but, you know, save ourselves or do we, you know, do we take actions? Do we pull the lever and do we prevent, you know, all these people from dying, but that, but, you know, but some people are negatively affected, um, you know, and, and, and what that says about us as human beings, not just as Americans, but as the entire world had to make those decisions, you know, what, what that says about who we are and what we value. And here's the thing. We didn't know a lot about this virus, but what we did know is we were seeing what was happening in Italy. We were seeing what was happening right. in other places. And it was so bad. I mean, I don't know if you guys have friends over there, but my friends couldn't leave their house for – could not leave. Could and it was not leave. so fast. It happened so fast. And like what you said, Curtis, this wasn't just about can COVID kill you. This was about the access to care. This was do we have the hospital beds. This was everything. This was more than just let's protect, you know, let's isolate the elderly and everyone else will be fine. This was so much bigger than that. And I know I, Dr. Fauci said in the very beginning of this, look, if we don't do anything, we're going to be in Italy. It's going to be bad. You're going to, you know, break your arm and not be able to get the bed at the hospital. You're going to have a heart attack and not be able to get the bed at the hospital. That's what we're talking about. But if you do do stuff and the pandemic doesn't turn out as bad as you initially predicted, people will think you overreacted. And he was like, I always want to overreact in these situations. If you see me overreacting, it's on purpose. So, yeah, I mean, that's true. And there was, there was absolutely no right decision here. That's why it seems wrong. I mean – there are all bad decisions, you know, if you're going to kill, you know, or, you know, in the, the, with the switch example or on the, on the, with the trolley, you know, it's, it doesn't feel good to say that that one person, you know, it, you know, should die to save the five or whatever, you know, it's like, it's, it doesn't, neither, nothing feels felt good about this. There was, it was always going to be a tremendous amount of suffering one way or the other um, as a fallout from this. And, you know, and like you said, even things like, you know, the idea of just isolating the elderly, like it wasn't really practical. Um, there was a, there was a, uh, I, I read that about 50% of all of the people who have died in the U.S. from COVID um, were in um, elderly homes. And, you know, once you get past how just amazingly sad that is, yeah. um, you know, it also, like, you also realize, like, how quickly this can get out of, con- out of control with anybody um, not just the elderly, because like this this article I was reading, I think it was from let's see, this was from Washington Post. You know, it was saying that that you know just because a large per- larger percentage of elderly people get sick from this, younger people 
are getting sick too, exactly. often very sick. Yeah. And, and based on the early data from China, um, health authorities initially emphasized that most deaths were occurring among the elderly, which unfortunately created an enduring impression that this is just just a strange sort of influenza that happens to kill mm-hmm. huge numbers of old people. And like I said, the- I was guilty of that. Like yeah. I had that mindset to start and yeah. then guess what? Like all of a sudden you hear on the news, a 35 year old man just died. Right. Of stroke because there's, because the, what they discovered afterward, and this is why they had such an overreaction of not knowing, you know, what they were dealing with. What they discovered afterward was that, that um, COVID actually causes many problems, not mm-hmm. just, um, in the lungs, it actually creates an, a, an absurd amount of blood clots. Yep. And so, so what I tell people who, you know, who argue that these numbers are over-exaggerated is that no, probably these numbers are under-exaggerated because a lot of people were dying from at home from things like strokes um, that were not originally thought to be COVID-related. Uh, you know, so, so it's, it's scary because these people were at home. They, they, in a lot of cases, they were alone. Um, and, and they just died and weren't discovered for, you know, days upon days. Mm -hmm. And it was just thought that, okay, I guess this random, you know, 35 year old person just died of a stroke or whatever. But then when the scientists started actually finding these blood clots and looking at the data, they saw that the numbers of, of things like strokes were going up like crazy amounts Mm -hmm. at the same time as COVID and so, and they know what the average is, you know, every year we have an average of, of, you know, people who say in the thirties that die from strokes or whatever, you know, if that doubles or whatever, you know, that, that it, it's very likely related. So it's not, you know, it's not as, as, as random of people guessing that it's COVID related as, as you hear sometimes. Right. So I want to head into this article um, before we head off. So this is written by Judy Melanek. Um, I think that's, Hopefully, it's how you pronounce her last name. Um, she's a forensic pathologist. Um, she's a contract pathologist for the Alameda County Sheriff Coroner's offices. She's the uh, CEO of uh, Pathology Expert Inc. Um, she studied at Harvard. Very well endowed human. Um, but she wrote this article, and it's called it's on MedPageToday.com, um, and it's. An incredibly informative article. It's how accurate is the coronavirus death toll of forensic pathologist's perspective. And um, it's really, really informative. And so what she goes into, it's about midway through. And please, if you want to know how this is done, read the article. It's so informative. Um, but basically, it's the National Vital Statistics System's guidelines for death certification. And um, basically, it's so I'll read it directly. A death certificate has two sections where the doctor who investigated the case will write the cause of death. Part one is the underlying disease or injury that starts the lethal sequence of events. Part two is for any other underlying conditions that the decedent had that made the death more likely. I, decedent, I guess if you don't, that's the dead person, um, to be frank. Um, and so... The guidelines state for COVID-19, if COVID-19 played a role in the death, this condition should be specified on the death certificate. In many cases, it is likely that it will be the underlying cause of death as it can lead to various life-threatening conditions, such as pneumonia and acute respiratory distress syndrome, ARDS. In some cases, survival from COVID-19 can be complicated by pre-existing chronic conditions 
especially those that result in diminished lung capacity, such as chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD, and asthma. These medical conditions do not cause COVID-19, but can increase the risk of contracting a respiratory infection and death. So these conditions should be reported in part two, not part one. Part two being for any other underlying conditions that the decedent had that made the death more likely. And so you get a lot of people, you know, it's determining, well, how do you decide what killed them? If they had pneumonia, did the pneumonia kill them or was it COVID-19 that killed them? And it seems like in most cases they're saying it's the COVID-19 that killed them, but the pneumonia made the death more likely to happen. Yeah, they would be still alive had had they not gotten COVID nineteen. I mean, that's that, that to me that's obvious. Okay, let's say let's say you have a, a a weak heart and and you're standing on some train tracks and you see a train coming toward you, can't get off. You have a heart attack, but then you get hit by the train. What killed you? Right, <laughs> and it's and, and it's it's a drastic way to explain it, but it's true. Um, it, and then you get I know in. Europe, and she explained this in the article. I can't remember where, um, but basically, if even if it wasn't, if, even if it wasn't COVID nineteen that killed them, um, specifically, if they had, if you know, they go through and they test and they had COVID nineteen, no matter what, they would say COVID nineteen was the reason of death. Um, but then you get, and it's a lot of it is determined. And they she lists a whole process of basically. Um, counting the death tolls of, um, you know, stuff like, you know, how many people are killed by heart attacks here, how many people killed by cancer, how many people have been killed by COVID-19. It's state through state, through different agencies, through different coroner's offices. Um, But unfortunately, even though they have, you know, the system like the National Vital Statistics System for guidelines and whatnot, a lot of it is left up to the coroner and is left up to the officials who take into account. And there are some that, like I said, in Europe, it started out if they had COVID, no matter what, that was the cause of death. But then there's some where they'd say, oh, well, no, it was the heart attack that killed them, but they had COVID that made the heart attack worse. And so there are cases where it's like, well, then are is the number too high? Is the number too low? And there's just so many inconsistencies everywhere through media, through medical experts, through the government that it's practically impossible to truly tell. Especially because in a lot of cases, if the person dies, um, they they don't want to do an autopsy in order to figure out whether or not COVID was a problem because um, it's – how do I say this? Um, I mean, it's dangerous, you know, you can spread it out more, uh, they're dead. So they want to, they want to focus on the, you know, the next person that's coming in that's alive and that still has a chance. Um, you know, I, that's actually personally happened, um, to an extended family of a uh, member of mine. He is presumed dead by COVID, but he had a lot right. of other, you know, conditions. So, you know, so, you know, the, the idea is he probably would be alive today had COVID not happened. Um, but it's hard to know for sure. It's same thing is true with things like HIV, you know, uh, you know, HIV hardly ever kills you directly. It, it weakens your immune system and you die of something that a normal person could get over. 
like a cold. Right. Well, that's even like you say, HIV people fail to differentiate HIV is what, you know, HIV and AIDS are different things. Sure. HIV is what causes AIDS and AIDS is what kills you, you know? Um, right. And I, and I believe, I, you know, I'm not, I, I might be wrong about this, but I believe that AIDS is only one thing that can kill you. Oh that, yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, for, you know, you can have HIV and, and something else can kill you that, that wouldn't have killed you otherwise. But thankfully now we have ways where people who de- who have HIV can still lead healthy lives and all that and repress it and all that stuff. But that wasn't true for the longest time. So for a while, you know, we did have a smaller um, epidemic, but it was it was somewhat demonized in that case because only it was thought that only gay people could get it for the first like mm-hmm. you know couple of years, um, and there was some science that even backed that up. So that's a good example of like how you can look back on something and the science you know was either unclear or sort of like just totally wrong, and then it changed completely biased. Later on. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so we wish that we knew that it wasn't just gay people that could get it back then because that would have really helped. Um, you know, I think the empathy um, that mm-hmm. happened. And so now, you know, with COVID, you know, just because 50% of the people who are, who are dying from it are, are elderly people in, in, in old age homes, you know, I, I think that we should not lose our empathy um, just because, you know, and just push it off to the side because it doesn't directly affect us because it, it, it can, it probably does. And, you know, we don't know the full extent of it yet. All right, guys. Uh, Kara, did you have a point you're trying to make? No, I think there's just, to kind of wrap it up, there's so much we don't know about this virus. There's so much we don't know about the lasting implications, whether it be on our health or our economy or even just our personal relationships. And I think all of us need to just be a little bit more patient with each other right now and do our best to be hygienic and protect people around us um, and kind of take it day by day. But I think we need to be working together a lot more on this to get through it because fighting each other is going to make this make this a lot more difficult absolutely yeah i mean don't divide you know that's 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 my main message this is not (laughs) this is not a partisan issue it is not a partisan issue you know give give politicians and the medical community and everyone that you're dealing with a huge break because Mm -hmm. we did not know what we were getting into when we started this everyone's doing their best and you know, I think empathy really goes a long way. Don't give somebody a dirty look because they're wearing a mask. Don't give somebody a dirty look because they're not wearing yep. a mask. You know, you don't right. know uh, someone's you know, situation. You just yeah, don't. Just, exactly. I think all I can say is that I am very glad that I'm not the person who has to make the decisions between public health and an economy and oh. what my constituents want. I'm so glad no that's not me. On the lever. <laughs> so <I'd>, it'd be <laughs> tough. I'm going to try to hang in there, be patient, and do what I can do to protect myself and the people around me. All right, folks. Thank you for listening. Um, let us know what you think. Should the government have closed down the economy? Do you think that was the right choice? Do you think we should have kept it open? Let us know what you think. Shoot us an email at pwbnetwork at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to find out more about the show, more about the network, you can check out the website at podcastwithoutborders.com. Uh, Curtis, Carrie, do you guys have anything you want to plug? Not today. Um... No, not today. I'm okay. I think I think just, you know, uh, be good to one another. As Harry Styles <laughs> always says, be kind. <laughs> he made that up. All right, folks. On that note, we will uh, talk to you in the next episode. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Social Discord. 
part of the Podcast Without Borders Network. You can get hold of us by sending us an email at pwbnetwork at gmail.com. You can also check out our website at podcastwithoutborders.com. Thanks for listening.